0: Message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, good morning Freedom Church Oddingston and it's great to be able to join with you this morning and uh, thank you for Pastor Andy for asking me to share with you this morning. Um, I know that we all need encouragement at this time and there's no greater encouragement than lifting our eyes higher than what's happening around us in the earthly realm. I believe my favorite scripture has come to be Colossians 3 where it says that you know we're to set our minds on things above not in things below, not in the earthly things, for we have died and our life is hidden with Christ in God. And so today I want to speak to you really about, again, learning to live from that heavenly position, learning to live from the place where Christ has set us into, into himself, hidden with Christ in God. And so as we begin to learn to see from there and to speak from there, it just changes our perspective, changes the way we see And it brings great change into our lives. And so this morning I want to talk to you about that change that comes into our lives. And indeed on the subject of change and God's way of bringing change into our lives rather than the world's way. So we're going to start with a scripture. And um, just if you have your Bible or your app, uh, open up at uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 2. And we're going to read the first five verses. Now let me just begin to read from verse 1. Paul writes this. When I came to you, uh, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with fear and with trembling, and my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest. On human wisdom but on God's power praise God now twice in that passage Paul uses that phrase human wisdom and he contrasts that with the power of God why is there no power in the preaching of human wisdom because there is no anointing of the Holy Spirit no power of God on human wisdom for why should the Holy Spirit anoint a message that is understandable without him That's why messages of human wisdom sound really good to the natural mind but they do not have the power of God to change you because the Holy Spirit cannot operate through messages that point to you as your hope of change. Paul wrote there, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Messages of human wisdom can sound wise and persuasive but we need to ask ourselves a question about every message we hear, especially in this season that we're now in. No matter how wise and persuasive and eloquent what I heard was, no matter how much scripture was used to illustrate the point, did what I just hear leave my faith on me and my performance or on Christ and him crucified? In other words, did it leave my faith on a sinning less life or on a sinless life? I'll say that again. Did what I just hear, no matter how many scriptures were used, did it leave my faith on a sinning less life or on a sinless life? You see, the Apostle Paul in that passage declared in effect to the Corinthians, I did not come to you with human wisdom because your faith cannot rest. On human wisdom that word rest is so important and this morning i want to talk about change and it is human wisdom to believe that we must change ourselves and that's why faith cannot rest on human wisdom because human wisdom will give you no rest i mean you know that right now actually you're being bombarded with human wisdom all sorts of things you need to do to keep safe and to do this and to do that and the message is changing almost every day and it's good to take practical steps i mean our hope is not in being removed from disease. Our hope is right in the middle of our enemies. The Father lays a table for us and he anoints our head with oil. Uh, So we can be surrounded by things that we need to do but you know what Uh, if your focus is there is that is if that's your hope you will find no rest because human wisdom will give you no rest. All those wise and persuasive words are always about what you need to do for God and once you start down that road of doing it's a never-ending road. No one's ever managed to tell you how much you need to do. Uh, Remember that especially when you hear lots of exhortations perhaps that you need to repent as a believer. Well you know it's fantastic to change your mind and have a metanoia, uh, to change your thinking, change your believing by the power of the word. I trust that's what happens to you today as you listen. but. If people mean repent in terms of what you're going to do you'll notice that they can never tell you exactly how much is enough. There is no rest in human wisdom. You see a gospel that is all about what you need to do is very complicated. Religion is very complicated. You can be in it for years and still be no wiser as to what on earth God wants you to do. I remember the week that uh, my wife Nicola came to faith in Christ and began to see the simplicity of the gospel. The very first thing I asked her when uh, she shared with me the experience, I asked her, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You see, when you're brought up under human wisdom, under religion, when it comes to God, that's all you can think about. What do I need to do? The sad thing is that for me, um, after 27 years of uh, sitting under um, a message about what I needed to do, I still was no further on in knowing what I needed to do, knowing exactly what God wanted me to do. You see, the more your thinking revolves around what you have to do for Him, the less you know Him. Now, I know that sounds a striking thing to say, but when I say what you have to do, when I use the word you there, I'm referring to the old you, that old self alone, apart from God. You know, as a born-again believer, don't worry, you'll have plenty No shortage of things to do, but it will no longer be you alone doing it. Listen to how the Apostle Paul explains this to the Corinthians again from 1 Corinthians 10. When he spoke about all the work he was doing, he said, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. You see, the more your thinking revolves around what you have to do for God, the less you know him. Because to know him is to be consumed by what he has done for you, not what you will do for him. And that's why when Paul said he determined to know nothing among the Corinthians except Christ and him crucified, he was saying that he had decided to only listen to the Holy Spirit, not human wisdom. Any preaching that points you to yourself, no matter how eloquent, no matter how many scriptures are used, is merely human wisdom because the Holy Spirit always points us to Christ and him crucified. If you're not at rest as a believer, if you're striving and struggling to change, that is almost certainly because your faith is not resting on Christ and what he has done. And the most likely reason for that is that at some point in the past, the preaching of mere human wisdom moved your faith, moved your hope off what Christ had done for you and onto what you are doing for him. There is power in what Christ has done for you, the power to change. There is no power to change in what you will do for him. There is no power in self-effort, no power in religion. The gospel is not a matter of words but of power. And what I want to show you today is that the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the truth that God sees, the gospel, can open our eyes to God's reality, to the way God sees. And when you see what God sees, you will be changed by what you see. Let me say that again. When you see what God sees, you will be changed by what you see. So this morning, I want to talk about change, and I want to tell you that God changes us by opening our eyes to see. And so I want to say things this morning, and indeed every morning, I want to say things which are naturally unbelievable, things that you need the Holy Spirit. To enable us to see. For that is all the gospel preached by the early church did. It said things which were so unbelievable, it either offended people or changed them. So let's talk about change. You know, in our age of instant communication, even as we're learning to use the technology now that we're using, uh, we as a generation have been exposed through television and film to more images of how other people live than any previous generation. We have been pressurized as never before to start comparing ourselves, measuring ourselves with others. And so often the effect of that has been to leave us resolving to change, resolving to try harder, to do better as never before. We are bombarded with images which appear to be happier people than us and living happier lives than us. They're living in better houses than us, they're driving better cars than us. And uh, even now, even in your home confinement, you'll still be bombarded with those images about the great life that's waiting for you when all this is over. If only you will do certain things and buy certain things. So that message communicated to us is always the same. It's the message of human wisdom. You don't measure up, so you need to change for your life to be a better person. And here is what you need to do. In other words, the emphasis is on you changing your life. Now can you see that any view of you changing your life is essentially a self-centered view of life. Paul told the Galatians that until Christ came we had been held in bondage or held in slavery to human wisdom, to the elementary principles of this world, he described it. Now the idea that it is down to you to change yourself, to save yourself, is an elementary principle of this world. It is the principle of men who believe they do not have a savior to save them or to change them. So how are they supposed to change themselves or save themselves? Well, that brings us to another elementary principle of the world that does not see Christ as their savior. You change yourself, you save yourself by what you do. Let's make this even simpler. If you fell off a boat into the sea and you were drowning, what would you have to do to save yourself? Well, you'd have to swim. Who would have to do the swimming? You. If you couldn't swim, what would be your only hope? You need to let someone else save you. That would be your only hope. Someone else has to do the swimming. Now, here's the gospel. Someone else did all the swimming necessary to save you. Believe that and you'll be set free from powerless human wisdom about what you need to do And you will find yourself knowing God's wisdom about you, that through Christ you have been given everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Knowing what God knows about you changes you. Now, spiritually speaking, no man can swim. There is no one who is strong enough to swim and to save himself. Every person needs a saviour. And the gospel declares that it is only through a saviour that men are saved For we are all saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, so that no man can boast. So we all know that we're saved by grace through the person of Jesus. So imagine again you're out of your depth and you can't swim, and the grace of God comes along to save you. What do you have to do? Well, surely you have to let grace save you. How do you let grace save you? You need to stop trying to save yourself for all your efforts to save yourself are only pushing away your savior. Efforts to save yourself push away the grace of God. I'll say that again. Efforts to save yourself in your strength only push away the grace of God. Paul wrote to some Christians in Galatia and you know this well, they were getting religious. They had started to believe that there was something else they needed to do to be saved besides just let Jesus be their savior. And Paul used an interesting phrase to describe what was happening to them in Galatians 5 and verse 4. He said, you are estranging yourself. You're distancing yourself from the grace of God. You have fallen from grace. (laughs) I guess they had uh, socially distanced themselves from grace. It's interesting that Paul didn't use that phrase, "fallen from grace, with the immoral, badly behaving Corinthian church. He used it with the legalistic, properly behaving Galatian church. And that's because if grace is your savior, then you don't fall from grace. You don't fall from your savior by sinning, but by insisting on saving yourself. There is not a depth of sin you can fall into that the grace of God cannot save you from. But we need to let the Grace of God save us, and we need to let the grace of God save us to the uttermost, not to the end, <clears throat> excuse me, not to the end of the first week or the first month of the first year of our Christian life, and then turn round and say, "Well, thanks God, but I can take it from here as now the Church has been good enough to teach me what I need to do. Have you ever seen life-savers out trying to save someone who is panicking the biggest problem they have? is trying to stop that person from saving themselves long enough to let them save him. Now keep sitting under messages that infer that your salvation depends on your behavior and you won't be able to help yourself. You will quietly start to panic and your flesh will not lie still. It will jump into action to save yourself through good works. Now how do lifesavers save someone? How do they bring them in? They do all the swimming while asking the person being saved to only lie back and let themselves be saved. What must we do to do the works that God requires? People kept asking Jesus. His reply was always the same from John six twenty nine, This is the work God requires. Believe in the one he has sent. Believe in your Savior. So here is the elementary principle of the kingdom of God. You don't save yourself by what you do. You let yourself be saved. You let the Savior do the saving. Now, many of us as Christians let Christ save us many years ago, but we have got so caught up since by the spirit of the world, even in the church, that elementary principle that you're saved by what you do, that we have slipped back into trying to save ourselves through what we do. And that life, that self-centered religious life is effectively pushing away the grace of God so that we're not even enjoying being saved as Christ intended we would. Do you know that if Christians enjoyed being saved much more the church would shine so much brighter in this world and be so much stronger in every area because it is the joy of the Lord that is our strength. In every generation of the church multitudes of believers have started out in joy because they could see that they couldn't And didn't save themselves. But after spending years around Christians whose focus is on doing Christianity or doing church, they somehow can't see as clearly anymore that they have been and always will be saved entirely by the grace of God. Over the years as their spiritual eyesight has failed, so has their joy. Now the Apostle Peter wrote that if we forget that we have been cleansed from all our sins, then we become short-sighted to the point of blindness. That's 2 Peter one nine, You see, we're talking about change this morning, and the less you see the change that God has achieved through Christ, the more you will try to achieve change yourself. So what do you see? We're talking about change, and the first truth we need to establish is this. God's way of changing men is not through what they do, but through what they believe. Praise God. That's why we have this great gospel. It was John Bunyan who wrote from confinement many years ago, these beautiful words. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. You see, the basic principle of this world The mindset, what the Bible sometimes refers to as the spirit of this world, this principle that you can change yourself by what you do, it's so pervasive that it has always been found affecting God's people in every generation too in the church. And when the spirit of this world, which is man-centered, self-centered, begins to influence people, you'll always see an emphasis on doing over believing. Time and again when people came to Jesus they didn't ask, what should we be believing? They asked, what should we be doing? And his response was never to give them something to do, but someone to believe in. He never pointed them to themselves, but to himself, to their savior. And even in this generation of God's people today, among Christians, you can be bombarded with the same message as the world. You don't measure up, you need to change your life, you need to be a better Christian, and here's what you need to do. And churches are full of that sort of teaching. Here is what you need to do to see change come into your life. Now, that sounds really helpful, and it's so easy to miss the fact that that type of message is directing your gaze down, down off Christ and what He has done, and back onto yourself and what you're going to do as your hope of change. Can you see yet that any view? of you changing your life is a self-centered view of life any gospel message that is man-centered rather than christ-centered is powerless i know it sounds really good i know how it feels i know it feels good to be rebuked again and again to be told to repent again and again by examining yourselves and see how badly you're doing in order that you may try hard to do better But be honest for a moment and ask yourself, how many times is it now, over the last number of years, how many times is it that you've humbled yourself and turned from your wicked way in order to get God to turn from his way and change his mind about you? The Apostle Paul would have been tempted many times to read the riot act to some of his churches, to command them to do certain things in order to change, but he discovered from experience that real change real transformation only comes from directing people to Christ not to themselves. He discovered that himself after many years of self-effort on the road to Damascus when Jesus said Paul look at me look at me it is me you are persecuting. You know Paul told the Corinthians I determined to know nothing while I was among you only Christ and him crucified. It's so easy as Christians to absorb the spirit of the world, performance, self-effort. And I find the sign in my life that that's happened is that I start to put all the emphasis on me and what I'm going to do to change. Now, I'm not saying that is anything necessarily wrong with someone resolving to do better, to want to change. You know, if you've decided to read more of your Bible at this time, to attend more church meetings, even Zoom meetings, to give up certain things, there's nothing wrong in themselves in any of those things. In fact, it's a godly desire to want to grow in Christ-likeness, to want to change. But before you start at the top of your to-do list, I want to ask you a question. If you take this morning an honest look at your list of things to do in this season to make you a better person, a better Christian, can you say that the emphasis of your list is on your doing or on Christ's doing now why is that so important because we're talking about change this morning and the greatest change in a person's life comes as they receive the change that God already brought about through Christ rather than try to achieve change themselves the spirit of this world says achieve the spirit of God says receive If this truth about the Christian life being a life received is true for every aspect of our Christian life, our life in Christ, then it must be true for change also. If you and I want to see real change in our lives from all that is happening in the world right now, it won't come from the change we achieve, but from the change we receive. In other words, our hope isn't on what we're going to do, but in what Christ has done. It's such a powerful thing to have your hope in what has been done rather than in what is yet to be done. You see, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12 says it like this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Who is this tree of life? Jesus. A longing fulfilled is Jesus. Jesus is a longing fulfilled. Are you longing for change? That longing has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That longing for change you have. If you look to what Jesus has done, you will see all the change you will ever need. But if your hope for change is continually kicked into the future, to some other day, to some other time, some other place when you have done better or achieved more, because you have let that hope be continually placed on you and what you're going to do for God or on others and what they're going to do, your heart is going to get sickened because hope deferred makes the heart sick. We are talking about change this morning, and if your hope for change is in what people are going to do, then you will always be waiting for change. I'll say it again if your hope for change is this morning and what other people are going to do, then you're always going to be waiting for change. But if your hope for change is in the cross, then you'll always be seeing change, for it is in seeing and continue, continually seeing Christ. And him crucified as the father's view and opinion of you that people are changed and transformed into his perfect image of them Christ praise God for the gospel praise God for this beautiful revelation that Christ and him crucified is sufficient for every need we have even in this situation today so when the world around you and the news is clamoring for your attention, by all means be practical, by all means be wise, but by all means be like Mary, not Martha. Start from the feet of Jesus, get your eyes fixed in him, filter everything you're hearing through what Christ has done, through who you now are, through where you now are. If you're going to speak into a situation that you're in, speak from that heavenly place. Speak as one hidden with Christ and God. Speak from there. If you really want to see change come into the lives of your loved ones and your family, then it has to be the change, the only change that came into your life. The change from receiving Christ and him crucified as sufficient for all your needs. God bless you, church. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, just thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Right now, under the sound of this beautiful gospel, there is hope being sparked in people's lives. And that's, Lord, like lighting a candle in the darkness. The moment that light is struck, darkness must recede. And so, Father, I just speak against fear in people's lives and also the self-condemnation, the measuring that comes. Lord, your word says that we're not to let our lights be put under a bushel a bushel was a dry measuring vessel. So, Lord, let no, man, no one measure us. Let us not come under the spur of the world and constantly let our eyes fall on ourselves. Let us lift our eyes unto Christ. Even today, by the power of your word, lift our eyes to see what you see, to see ourselves hidden with you, to see ourselves where we are today in Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father. And that as the church begins to live and to speak from there, Those who have been sitting in darkness will see a great light. For church, the Lord has said, you now are the light of the world. Shine, church. God bless you.